1: So let's go back to Rise. Tell me, so
0: that's it's been a good journey. Um, I was in the midst of unlearning a lot of things, and so you were saying something that most were not. It, I was involved. Church planting was my prime directive at that time. Um, it still is, but it's it's changed to disciple multiplication. That's really more important. And. And I was on, getting on to that at that time. But you were someone who I was fascinated with because it wasn't just starting churches. It was multiplying many churches and, and, and relate it was far more relational, far more organic. And I knew that it had to go in that direction. Um, so that was the start, a turning point. Um, and then I launched a church plant, and that's when I really began to. That's when the education really started. Every time I had an idea, God said, "No, we're not going to do that. We're going to do another way." And fortunately, I was pliable enough to listen and not be sold out
1: to my own plan. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, I I had a friend um, at Aaron Suzuki. We started the church in Hawaii together, and. Uh, we were together, I don't know, a couple months ago on a zoom call to just hang out every so often. And, and, and he goes, um, I, you, know, you know, you're, you're still saying the same thing that you were saying 40 years ago. And then he, he called me up two days later and, and said, I, I, I hope you don't mind that I said that. I hope you aren't offended that I said that it's like, that's one of the nicest compliments I've, I've ever heard. Because uh, I believe I was right 40 years ago, and I, I don't <laughs> think the truth has changed. I think it, it really does come down to relational disciple-making, and uh, we don't really know how to do that in a lot of churches. I, I see so many, I, you know, I was coaching a guy uh, recently in, in a pretty significant church, a church that is planting churches too, and I, I asked him the, the, the process from uh, finding Jesus To, uh, you know, my measurement is always sending somebody to Japan as a missionary, because that's, I care more about Japan than pretty much any other country. And, and, and he gives me this litany, he wrote it out of eight different classes and situations that you would have to go through. And they weren't vertically aligned. They were just, you know, kind of a hodgepodge. You uh, first weren't discipled into Christ, you were attracted to the church. And then you're, you know, brought into like a Rick Warren four bases deal, and then you were brought into something else where in eight weeks you learn everything you need to know to be a disciple of Jesus. And then they went to work on your marriage. and And it's it's crazy. Um, you know, we just learned if we just put you in a group of other Christians and you talk about the Word of God, the the Scripture is is, is like it says, um, powerful and and double edged, and it cuts between soul and spirit and we can rely on the holy spirit to do an awful lot in relationship with other people and usually the conversations if they're not curriculum driven get around to the things that people are going through in their lives and the spirit gets to interact with them
0: you know the uh, the the new book that i'm working on that come it should come out this summer it's called viral and um It's really a book about hearing God's voice, that the word of God is what is viral. Uh, Now, we typically think the word of God is the Bible, 66 books bound in leather. And that is the word of God, but it's not all that the word of God is. Uh, And the role of discipleship is connecting people to Jesus' voice. And if we just did that, it would be amazing what would happen to change the world. And that's what the book is about. Um, I am amazed that we put more confidence in our human teachers than we do in the Holy spirit that lives inside of every follower. If we really believe that treasure was in every follower of Christ, we would do leadership very differently. We would stop trying to put good stuff in people and we'd be working to get the God stuff out of them. Those are two very different ways of leading. So that's, uh, that's, Part of the the new um, emphasis of what I'm doing is trying to make it so, you know, I've always been about making it simple. Simplicity's always been a value of mine. But I'm also uh, trying to make it um, available and to to everyone, starting with brand new followers or people who don't even know Christ yet. You know, one of the amazing stories I have is that uh, that I I love in the Bible is that uh, uh, the church, the disciples, the the apostles were told to uh, be a witness to Christ, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. But they never would leave Jerusalem. They stayed in their comfort zone, growing a big church instead of multiplying. So God raised up Saul of Tarsus to bring persecution. And then Acts 8.1 says, everyone left Jerusalem except the sent ones. Yeah. <laughs> so the sent ones are the only ones who didn't go. Uh, and uh, and I, I think the irony and the sarcasm in that statement is just is, is beautiful. Um, not only did the sent ones not go, but God used Paul before he was even a Christian to plant more churches than all 12 disciples apostles did. So even before he was a Christian, he was being used to start new new churches and spread the kingdom. So I I really think we've got to change our way of thinking to see this world change. And that's, that's what I'm called to help people do.
1: You know, it's interesting Uh, to me, they were courageously disobedient those people. And um, I, I think that one of the, the, the products of, you know, the way we read the book of Acts is we we bump into a big church in the beginning, we start thinking mega church. I, I look at that and I think um, immature church. And maturity happened when the church was diffused. But part of diffusion is uh, leaving uh, the new believer or the, the almost new believer that we're discipling in their natural, Uh, oikos their household their their affinity group whatever it is we suck them out of that and pull them into the church and the the most effective evangelists are those who have just met jesus and are still living in the mission field and the, the church seems to be all about insulating those people from the the ones that they could infect infect with the gospel right you know the the gospel is always meant to be viral.
0: Viral. It's always meant to be contagious and spread from relationship to relationship. And uh, you know when when God sent the ten plagues to Egypt, he was he was shouting. You know he was making sure people heard what he was saying. And the plagues were compelling the people of Israel to go out into the wilderness and also for Pharaoh to let them go. But there's more to it than that. Every one of those 10 plagues was a direct assault on a false religious viewpoint of the Egyptians. So it was God saying, this is wrong. Here's what's right. I think COVID-19 is God shouting at us and, and teaching us something at the same moment. And it's amazing, everybody on the planet has received an education this year to help spread the kingdom of God and they don't even know it. Yeah. So we talk about lowering the curve. Well, what God is saying is we just reverse it and turn the kingdom of God upside down and realize Jesus is a positive, the love of Christ is a positive virus that needs to spread. Then just take everything you've learned this year and turn it upside down. So we need to um, raise the curve of multiplication. We need to stop social distancing. We need to take off the mask and let people see the real Jesus. We need to not be asymptomatic. We need to show them we are infected by Jesus. We need to start spreading this virus. We need to be contagious people um, and, and not be hiding away. The, all of the things that you have learned this year from, to avoid the spread of the virus Actually, the church has been very good at avoiding the spread of the virus of Jesus for a long time, and he is now saying, stop it. Church is family, and families belong in a home. He's saying, go to your neighborhood. He's saying, make a difference in your workplace. He's saying, stop making it an event that happens between 10 and noon on Sunday, and start making it something that infects the whole world and becomes a pandemic that's that affects all of society, economy, business, education, the works. That is what the message is that God is trying to get across through this virus. And it's merciful of him because I think this is a a dress rehearsal for what is to come. Stop fighting for the government. Political activism isn't what's going to make the difference. We've got to get back to simply passing on the virus of Jesus one life at a time and make it in a contagious way and stop making certain celebrities more important than other people. So that's the new book, Viral, that's hopefully coming out this summer.
1: That's really good. You know, I'm uh, I'm 75 years old. I'm semi-retired. I work about three days a week doing this stuff and and, and I work with Exponential and do those kind of things. And yet I find myself living in a Christian ghetto. Uh, I'm, we're, I'm leading a digi church, but it's with people who are already followers of Christ, who, you know, a bunch of us old people who the, somebody pulled the rug out from under us and, and we can't find a church where we seem to fit in just for fellowship anymore. And so we're, we're all across the country and we're doing it online. But I, I was reading somebody else's book the other day, and I got really, really convicted um, about the fact that I really do not rub shoulders with people who who don't know the Lord. And COVID has probably been part of this because, you know, we, we're old, so we went into self-imposed lockdown real early, but um, coming out of it, got the vaccine and all that. I made a list of four different uh, restaurants and coffee shops where I thought there's potential. If I go there every day uh, or every week, uh, you know, on a sort of sort of a schedule, I might meet people. And I I think I kind of got it down focused down to one there's, I live in a neighborhood of cultural Christians. It's, it's a, it's a, a very pleasant thing and yet it's a frustrating thing. Uh, Almost all of my neighbors, I mean, two doors down is a church planter, uh, a a mixed race, African-American and Caucasian couple uh, are are across the street. My next door neighbor is Vietnamese, but almost everybody in our neighborhood are from Iraq. And and their families moved here after the first Gulf War. And so um, many of them will tell you I'm a deacon in my church, but then they don't go to church. Uh, I'm a deacon in my church and my business is a liquor store. Uh, it, it's it's a very interesting mix of people. But I, you know, I want to have a block party and invite people over to a barbecue, but I don't know what to serve them. And so um, there's a, a restaurant in our community about a mile and a half from my house. And they uh, the menu is in Arabic and English. And we've eaten there. It's good food. My wife instantly makes friends. I'm Kind of the weird old introvert, you know, who sits there like a a, a a bump on a log or whatever. But you know, she's making friends, and and so the waitresses. She knows the waitresses. We haven't actually been there since COVID, but she she knew everybody when we left. So I'm thinking if we just go there like every Friday, you know, we're retired, so we can choose our time. I'm just looking for a way that I walk the neighborhood, I say good morning to these people, and that's the relationship. I, I want to get to where we're just able to stop and talk and I can do what we're talking about here again. I, I think a lot of us, you know, when I was pastoring, I lived in, you know, Christian ghetto then, but I would, I would find ways. I used to uh, restore cars and so I'd go hang out in the paint store, the place where I bought all the products for what I was doing. And I made some wonderful friendships there and, and felt accepted in a different world. I, I, I you, you got any pointers about how we how we get out of the bubble? Oh, yeah. Um
0: you know, I just until covid hit, I was driving Lyft. It's part of the gig economy. Um, that's partly because I don't monetize <laughs> the movement, but it's also um because I learned early on that there there is no secular and sacred jobs. Mm-hmm to the pure, all things are pure, to the follower of Christ, wherever you go, the Holy Spirit goes with you and whatever you're doing that he's called you to, it's holy. And so driving people around like a taxi driver can be a real spiritual enterprise. So I learned to get in my car and before I hit the app and turn it on, I would pray that the entire space would be full of the Spirit and that people who enter into the car would sense God's presence even if they didn't know it and be blessed for having been in this car. I prayed for per- obvious protection as I drove people around, but I also prayed that God would arrange for me to pick up people specifically prepared to encounter him. And that's just a simple prayer, but boy, every single week I got to share Jesus with people that were open and ready and they they brought it up. I didn't you know, I, I was not, I got high ratings, not, not because I wasn't preaching to people. I was just simply giving them a ride. Yeah. Um, but because I prayed those, those prayers, I prayed for God to lead me to the customer. He, he is preparing that he would open the conversation, that he would direct it. And uh, every single week, someone would be moved closer and closer to Jesus. And, um, it was sometimes even miraculous. The, the last person i gave a ride to i got in my car i prayed that prayer and the first passenger i had um, i went to pick them up and he asked me what do you do <laughs> and uh i said well i'm an author that's my usual answer i'm just an author I said, "Well, what kind of books do you write and so i said well i, I write books about leadership and and uh and movements that are happening in the world. He says, what kind of movements? well, I write about Jesus. I finally get to it, and I say, I write about Jesus. And suddenly he got real quiet, and I said, "Um, you all right? He said, yeah, you're not going to believe this, but I used to be a Christian. I said, yeah. And this morning, as I was waiting for you to pick me up, I prayed to God for the first time in years, and I said, God, if you're real, show me your real, And then you pick me up. Wow. And I says, well, you know what? I just prayed for you. <laughs> I prayed that God would lead me to someone who he is preparing. And he's heard my prayer and he's heard your prayer. And the destination I was taking him to was at Cal State Long Beach. And we drove right past the dormitories where I gave my life to Christ 40 years ago. Wow. I says, right there is where I decided to give my life to Christ. And I have never looked back, and he has been with me ever since. When I dropped him off, he was a different person.
1: Wow. And that's,
0: you know, you don't really think of that kind of job as being used by God. But I'll tell you something. Those jobs are more used by God than, you know, I I remember I had to get a paper route when I was a pastor. And I had two jobs. I delivered the good news on Sunday, and I delivered the bad news every other day. (laughs) And I'd never thought that that would be used by God. But in, in all the years that I was a pastor of a church, that paper route led more people to Christ than anything else we ever did.
1: Wow. So I have a question about Lyft. I, I have a friend in Idaho. He, you know, church beats up people. This guy was a pastor. Uh, he moved to Portland, Oregon to, to work on staff as an executive pastor. And then the guy who hired him left and the next guy fired him, just left him high and dry. And uh, I think he lost his house in the middle of all this. He's he's about 60 years old, maybe a little bit older. And so he ended up driving Uber in Boise, Idaho. And he said that he introduces himself as a pastor, but that twice he has uh, present, prevented suicides. Uh, people who got in the car were on their way. And, you know, he interrupted the process. The question that I have, because I, I think that at first, there's a lot of people who coming out of COVID, because church has changed so much, are going to need to go drive Lyft, or need to go drive Uber just financially, but they're not seeing it as the opportunity that it is. So take us just a little bit deeper. Have you had any conversations with people as a, as a Lyft driver, where it went on, um, that, that oh. they established, uh, you you have an ongoing relationship? Talk Talk that through a little bit. Yeah. I, I'm always, um, And I'm not saying this is good in the way you should do
0: it, but it always takes, I, I let them draw out who I am instead of me just boldly telling them. Yeah. And I had this uh, lesbian couple um, needed a ride and they were anxious to recruit me to their um, multi-level marketing scheme, uh-huh. which, you know, if you've been a Christian leader for a long time, then you, you know better. Uh-huh. <laughs> or you're or you're doing really well with it either way but um so i was just you know they they asked me who i was and what i did and and i I gave them surface stuff i'm an author i write some books they're christian books that's about all i got to um but they wanted my information so i gave it to them and the next thing i knew they called me and says you're more than you let on uh could we have lunch and so we my wife and i had lunch with them and uh it was a great time and we talked and they stopped trying to sell me. They started trying to uh, buy what I had, you know, they uh, they were interested in what, what I had. Um, and we still communicate. And that was, it's been about two years. Wow. Yeah, it can be. It's, it's a little bit unusual yeah. to have that kind of connection. And I suggest that, that, um, you you don't push you know if you there's a lot of reasons for people to be um leery of personal connections with lyft drivers or uber drivers so uh let let their comfort level come to light and let them ask for the contact information you could put a card in the back seat with a water bottle and say if you ever need a need a ride or something and you call lift or I don't know you could do whatever but I would uh, I've always found that if you pray and you ask God to lead the conversations, lead you to the right people, and you're open to um, to just loving on people as they enter the car, not converting them to anything, just loving them and um, being yourself. I think that's the most authentic way to make a difference. And there have been many times, many times that uh, I've had, I've left, I've dropped people off and they don't want the ride to end. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's cool.
0: And I've had people want me to be their driver again. It doesn't always work with the whole system. Yeah, yeah, that, that happens often.
1: That's good.
0: I haven't driven Lyft since COVID hit. Um, and, uh, I may, I don't know if I will again, uh, but I'm open to it. I've learned a long time. I learned with that paper route 30 years ago that, uh, that there is no um, more holy calling to follow Jesus into any kind of work. Whatever you put your hand to,
1: it's it's a holy calling. I'm going to wind this down a little bit. And I just want to say thank you for doing this. I so appreciate you being on here. And I appreciate uh, an enduring friendship. Yeah, thank you for being a
0: great example and uh, mentor throughout the years. You know, I'm uh, discipling. And mentoring a couple of children of people that used to be used to mentor so it's passing on they were part of your church in uh uh, i want to say Torrance, but probably redondo beach or Hermosa beach and uh, then they went to hawaii briefly with you so the parents and now i'm discipling their kids so it lives on
1: wow that's exciting that's really really exciting hey neil um i don't know if you know say no to this if you want to but if there are people who are listening and they'd like to get in contact with you, is there uh, some avenue for that to happen? I'm on Facebook and I do have a Twitter account.
0: I do have a YouTube channel. It has a small followership at this point, but that's, that's how these things begin. You begin slow and small and you multiply, uh, but you can find the YouTube channel. Um, it's uh, uh, regularly post. Small, short videos of ideas about movements and about the kingdom of God and about how we need to have change. They're all targeted to young people. I have always had the same email address. Uh, Sometimes an email address can say a lot about you, and mine does. My email address is my name, Cole, at aol.com, which says I'm an early adopter to get that email address, but it also says I'm loyal. (laughs) Stayed with it a long time. I haven't changed my email address in 25 years. So uh, that's that people can email me if they want. Um, they can find me on Facebook. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at RalphMore.net.